do apologize. I have a little bit on my mind this morning. Um, I intended to um, dismiss any young people who parents feel um, should maybe uh, not be in here right now. We're going to be covering a section of scripture that is not necessarily graphic, but it's it's one of those sections where uh, it may be that um, that you would prefer your child not to be in here. And so I just want to let you know that Maggie is going to be having a lesson for them. And so if, if they still need to be dismissed, please go ahead and do that. And I apologize I didn't do that during the song. So, <clears throat> all right. And with that, uh, we are going to be looking at a, a proper response to sin. Okay. A proper response to sin. Um, I just want to say from the beginning, um, you know, well, I'll say it like this. We've been talking about false teachers. It's a heavy subject, but it's a needed one. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, good. We're transitioning out of there, right? And, we, and then we hit the, the beginning. And it's not like I haven't read it a gazillion times, but, you know, we, I jump into chapter three and then it's like, oh, <laughs> we got a few things to weed through here too. But you know what? We're, we're going to look at the whole counsel of God. And um, uh, I know that there might be some of you where this doesn't directly apply, um, but, but I, I think that we need to look at the principles behind this because these will carry through in the rest of the passage as we, as we work through some things. So um, today, as we look at the proper uh, response to sin, I'm going to read for you starting uh, in Colossians chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 1 simply because um, we can review a little bit from last week. So it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, Passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. So last week, we made the transition from chapter 2 and uh, chapter, into chapter 3. This is also a significant transition point from the more doctrinal believing and knowing section of Colossians to the more practical living and doing section. Chapter 3 began with Paul reminding the Colossians that they were raised with Christ. If we have the same faith, then so are we. We are raised with Christ. Positionally, we are a new creation. Since we are raised with Christ, then we are to set our minds on Christ. We're to set our minds on things above. We connected back to what Paul had instructed about who Christ is and what Christ did on our behalf. We brought all that forward so that we, we had that in our thinking as we thought about putting our mind on Christ. So what I want to do this morning is I want to bring, our, our study, bring to mind a study that we had back in February. Now, I don't expect you to remember those details, okay? But it was part of our examination of the preeminence or supreme greatness of Christ. And it centered around Psalm 110.1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And we see this in the first four verses in uh, Colossians 3. 
We traced out that this was a prophecy of Christ. So we saw it in the Old Testament. This was a prophecy of David. That Jesus quoted this passage to the scribes and Pharisees to declare his deity. We also saw that it was one of the main points in Peter's Sermon on the Mount. Peter's Sermon on the Mount. Peter's Sermon on the Day of Pentecost. Sorry about that. Very big difference. Making the case for the deity of Christ. Making the case for Jesus being God and being Savior. Then Paul referred back to this passage in four of his letters, again, including here in the book of Colossians. And the author of of Hebrews made reference to Psalm 110 multiple times in order to make the case that Christ was superior, that he was preeminent in all things. So what Paul does for us in the first four verses of chapter 3 is he gathers everything that he has covered in the first two chapters and unifies these elements into one concentrated message. Focus on Christ, not on earthly things. He's also filtered out everything that can scatter and diminish the pure truth of Christ and our relationship with him. We've talked about this several times. Things like added rules and traditions and experiences and false worship of angels. All those things that can take our eyes off Christ. He then takes this concentration of who Jesus is and what he has done for us who we are in Christ, and he aims it directly at our daily living. And just like light hitting a diamond, the truth of Christ hits every facet of our lives. Folks, that's what's happening. That's what's going to begin to happen here in this passage. He he takes everything about Jesus and he concentrates it down, and now he's going to hit us where we live. All right? And it literally is going to hit every area of our life. Over the course of the next several weeks, we are going to examine how focusing on Christ and eternity is to change our daily living. Now, we will eventually focus on some positive things. But Paul begins with a proper focus on on Christ and what it will eliminate. Okay, so we have some things to wade through. So the first thing we're going to be looking at is put our earthly ways to death. Now, I want to be clear from the start. We've already read the passage, but there there are a few things that we need to be clear about. At salvation, a spiritual circumcision and baptism took place. We saw this earlier in the chapter, and I want to read this for you. Colossians chapter 2, 11 through 14. In Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, the Father has made alive together with him, with Christ having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That is some tremendous, tremendous truths that we can apply to our lives. So our sin was removed through spiritual circumcision. We died with Christ by being identified with him in spiritual baptism, and we were raised from death to life. That is our standing now. 
We have eternal life because of the penalty Christ paid in our place. And the forgiveness we receive from God because we believed what God did on our behalf. So the old self is dead and we are made alive. I want to look at a couple of verses to punctuate that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Behold, all things have become new. And then Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul considered the Colossians to be faithful followers of Christ. Okay, So first, salvation, a spiritual, spiritual circumcision has, been, has, has taken place. Right? The other thing we need to consider is Paul considered the Colossians to be faithful followers of Christ and they made up a loving congregation. Let's review just for a moment. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I want to read you some excerpts from the, the same chapter, Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. The gospel is bringing forth fruit as it all, is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Epaphras also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Folks, we're talking about faithful people. There's only one other congregation that Paul writes to and calls them faithful, and that's the Ephesians. It doesn't mean that there weren't other faithful congregations, but we know that some of them weren't, right? We know that. But Paul calls the Colossians faithful. Another thing we need to keep in mind as we begin we see here that we are told to, to put our earthly ways to death, right? We can't kill what doesn't exist, even if it's spiritual in nature. We cannot kill what doesn't exist. This is real. Notice Paul doesn't say, put your old self to death. We already read through that. We already talked about that. It's not our old self. That has already been accomplished by God's grace given to us through Christ dying in our place. But the horrible remnant from our life before Christ, that tendency to sin, that still lives on. Now we can ask, why didn't God just take away our desire to sin when he gave us a new life? The easy answer is that we are told our salvation is positionally complete, but that we are to practically work out our salvation. We see that in Philippians chapter 2, the latter part of that verse, I'm sorry, 12 and into 13. And it says... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Pretty clear verse, isn't it? But the hard answer is, I don't know. I don't know why God didn't take away our desire to sin. I don't know why that wasn't eliminated from us. I cannot give you a complete answer as to why we must still deal with sin in this life, but I can say two things for sure. It destroys the argument that we're all just a bunch of mindless drones. You've heard that before, haven't you? Ah, uh, you're just indoctrinated. No. We must choose faith and obedience every time 
every time we are tempted to sin. It is a volitional choice to be obedient. And it should be born out of love and what he has done for us. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. The other thing that I know for sure is that our obedience is for God's glory and for our good. Right? Just like the verse we just read. So now let's examine some of the phrases that we have in this passage. Put to death. Now determining how an action word is used is always important. And it is crucial to properly understand some passages. In other words, if we don't get how a verb, how an action word is used, we're going to miss the meaning. We need to take just as much care to rely, not to rely solely upon the verb itself, but how it is being used in the context. If we read this strictly adhering to Greek rules and not interpreting its usage, we would conclude that this action of putting to death or killing is a definite one-time action, over and done, in the past, never needing repeated. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Right? If we just said, I just lied. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm going to stop lying and I never lie again. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It'd be great if we could just put sin to death and then it's gone. Now we're going to connect back with this a little bit later. But the point is, we need to put sin to death. Then it tells us that there's a location with this. It's in your members. This term can mean the literal physical parts of our body. In different parts of scripture, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about different parts of us. In this passage, Paul is continuing to speak about the spiritual. That is how he has been conveying things. So the collective members of our body represent how we live out what is in our hearts. So simply put, my members, my body... What makes me up is really just what I'm doing with what's ticking inside. Okay? What I do, what I say, how I respond to things, all those things, they're coming from the inside, but it's still my members. Okay? So when I snap back at somebody, that's my members. And then we see that phrase on the earth. It is a clear reference back to what Paul contrasted. We must focus on Christ and eternal things, not earthly things. Now, these sexual sins that we're going to look at are part of the earthly that we are not to follow. So here is what we conclude can conclude at this point in our study. We have a fight in our hands. We have a real fight in our hands. It is a spiritual battle, but it is no less real than a physical fight. Now again, I understand that maybe some of these things we're going to talk about based upon where you are at in your life, these aren't, may not be an issue. But I, I want you to think about the principles behind these things because they will apply later. And maybe God has built you in such a way, maybe he's put you in a certain place in life where you can help somebody else, right? So let's think through this together. I want us to first look at something that... Um, uh, a theologian named F.F. F. Bruce wrote. 
Now that you are uh, new men and women in Christ, says the apostle. So he's speaking, you know, third person as if he were Paul. So he's, he's, you know, just talking as if he were Paul. Live like new men and women. You have died with Christ. Act and speak and think in such a way as to make it plain that this death is no mere figure of speech, but a real event which has severed the links that bound you to the dominion of sin. In short, be in actual practice what you are by Christ's divine act. So that's what we're talking about, folks, is this killing sin by practice, fighting against it. Folks, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I, I'm, I'm not a tough guy. I've only been in a couple of real fights in my life. Most of the time, I was just really on the receiving end. It really wasn't much of a fight. I just got beat up, okay? But I don't know exactly how to explain this. Maybe this is just a guy thing. But when a real threat comes, there's a switch that's flipped. And some of you know what I'm talking about. It's on. Business is going to take place. And either I'm going to stop the threat or I'm going to go down trying. It just happens. I can only imagine what goes through someone's mind during a war when it's literally me or them. But this is the type of fight mentality that Paul is talking about. This is the type of killing that Paul is talking about. As F.F. Bruce said, this is no figure speech. We are commanded to literally kill off the spiritually fallen part of us, and this principle will carry over into our further study, as I mentioned. So what are we to kill off? We're to kill off sexual sins. Paul begins with a list of sexual sins sentenced for execution. There are several terms used in chapter 5, and I want to, st- verse 5, sorry. <laughs> Let's work through these and then bring together all that they mean. The first one we see there is fornication. This is actually where we get the word pornography from, its root. It covers all types of illicit sexual behavior outside of marriage. Adultery. Relations outside of marriage of any kind, same gender, and all the other variations that can be there. Now, at this point, I have to just be honest with you, we could get all caught up in all the twisted things that are out in our world today, like child sexual abuse and all those other things. But going down that dark path isn't going to add anything to our purpose this morning. I'm not ignoring those things. I'm simply saying that railing against what the world is doing is not going to help us. We need to look at ourselves. So the first thing we need to do is cut out fornication. Any type of wrong sexual behavior. Then what comes up is uncleanness. This is the moral and physical corruption that always accompanies immoral sexual acts. We cannot commit an act of corruption and not become impure as a result. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's just as simple as a child jumping into a mud puddle, okay? They're going to have to get cleaned up. If we jump into sexual sin, 
we are going to need cleaning. We have made ourselves impure. Then there are two words that we have here. One is passion, and then a small phrase, evil desire, passion. Just like so many words, passion can be used in a positive or a negative sense, and it is in Scripture. It is a more general word for a strong desire. But in this case, as it is in other cases, it is linked to sexual sins. So it's this strong desire for a sexual sin. Then there's that term evil desire. This is the word Jesus used when talking about a man committing adultery in his heart. Evil desire, more specifically, is a passion that becomes settled or built in the mind and can also refer to a habit of thinking. So this is, folks, a train of thought, right? This is something that is established. This isn't something that's just fleeting. This is something that becomes established in our thinking. So when Jesus said, lusting after a woman in your heart, that's what he was talking about. Passion and evil desire are used somewhat interchangeably. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 actually combines these two terms. If you'll turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4, in your pew Bibles, it's chapter, it's, it's, I'm sorry, it's page 1023. I just want to read this for you, and it kind of also emphasizes the things that we're talking about here as well. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Sounds a lot like verses 1 through 4, right? For you know what commandments he gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And look at this, not in passion of lust, that is those two words combined. That's those two words combined. That's that, that's that drive, but that's also that, that inset thinking. Both those things. The passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned and testified of you. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. This general yearning and desire that is passion can easily turn into a more focused evil desire or craving for sexual sins. And folks, that's what we really have to be careful about. Now you might say to yourself, Okay, okay, wait wait a minute here. Time out. Didn't you tell us that these were faithful people? Isn't, isn't that what you, we just read? Yes. <laughs> we already established that Paul described them as faithful while being guided by the Holy Spirit. This is scripture. He wrote this under the inspiration of God himself. And that's what he says about these people. So the only conclusion is that faithful people still battle with sin. 
I believe it's safe to say that faithful people fall into sin. Would you agree? Were these people still on the path to sanctification? Yes. As a follower of Christ, are you still on that same path to sanctification? Yes. Does it sound like God is excusing sin? No. But there's an understanding that is going to take place. So let's be clear. We are to put these earthly things to death. But the battle is real. And sometimes we're going to get a chunk take on out of us. We're going to get soiled. And sometimes it can be really ugly. Earlier in Sunday school, we talked about some preventives that we can take. And we're not going to go through all those now. But folks, God has given us what we need to not only not sin, but also to kill that sinful side of us. What I want us to understand right now is that God is not out to deprive or frustrate us. Our Heavenly Father wants to direct us, to protect us, and to bless us. And folks, I don't mind saying that I want to direct that to our younger folks. God is not depriving you of anything. He has given you the perfect place for this. He has given us the gift, this gift within the institution of marriage. We need to understand that the world has been filled with perversions since the beginning. This is not anything new. These are ancient sins. They've been around since people have been around. But it's true that we have witnessed the erosion of what we would call our Judeo-Christian ethic for many years. We have been on a downward slope in our country. What is new to us is the cultural normalization of immorality and perversion on a scale that we have never seen before. Now, folks, again, we can go down this rabbit hole. We can rant and rave. I just want us to understand that we have to frame what we are dealing with properly. We are living in a fallen world, and frankly, our world has fallen very hard recently. Let's look at some scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's not forget, these scriptures are a couple of thousand years old, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But know this, that in last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. That's that same word. Those, those inset, selfish desires. But you, beloved, 
Jude 17 and 18. Remember the words which were spoken before the, by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Until recently, the church as an institution has been a stabilizing force, but now we see significant portions of supposed evangelicalism caving to perversions. Folks, it's on the front pages. They continue to say that society needs to make certain changes. And if we do, all will be well. There'll be no more demands. Then the next crisis is rolled out with a barrage of propaganda, lectures from experts, and emotional pleas for equality, justice, and fairness. And folks, I'm afraid that this is not going to stop. They tell us all the time, no, we're going to stop right here. And then they push a little farther. We're going to stop right here. And then they push a little farther, all the way to the point where they're telling our kindergartners that they're gay. Now, I want to be a little more specific here as we make some application. For men, the issue with sexual sins is primarily physical. We gratify these selfish desires, these lusts in our bodies. Everything we're talking about hits home with men, and we especially need to take decisive action in this area. Am I wrong? Man, I plead with you. Live a pure life. Kill the flesh. Lead your family in purity. Women, your issue is primarily emotional. However, statistics and an observation of our society today show that sexual sin is no longer a male-centered problem. We're seeing all different things just ramp up when it comes to women being involved in them. I want to quote for you a portion of an old 1980s pop song that stuck in my head years ago, something I probably shouldn't have been listening to, but it revealed something. It really did. It was, it was a woman singing, kind of telling on herself. And the phrase says, Don't you understand, you take me by the heart when you take me by the hand. Don't you understand, you take me by the heart when you take me by the hand. Women know the physical is connected to the emotional. Ladies, young ladies in particular, Remember that men know that too. Men know that too. I want to give you a gentle warning about some of the romantic novels that are out there and the movies that are out there. And I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for some of the Hallmark movies that are out there. I know they're formulaic, but they're nice sometimes. But let me just say it like this. And I know it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But after reading or looking at some of these things, you might say to yourself, my husband isn't nearly as understanding as Hans. (laughs) Or Fernando is so romantic. What I'm saying is this. They hook you with the emotions. 
but it can lead to something physical. So for men, it is physical. It's by sight and it's by touch, and that's, that's where we're at. For women, it's the emotional. For our children, it's the educational. Elements of our society are attempting to indoctrinate all of us, but they started a fire that seeks to primarily consume our young people on the altar of a self-centered, God-hating, destructive, and deluded society uh, lifestyle. That's what society is after. They've been successfully convincing many that there are no moral absolutes and that marriage is meaningless. They use a constant barrage of messages and images in the news, the movies, television, even commercials. And as I mentioned before, even our educational system. The teaching continues to undermine the family structure and even eliminate gender. Folks, people can't even define what a man or a woman is anymore. And, you know, we joke about that, but we have lost our collective minds. And we have lost our collective minds over sex. Now, some of us have been around for a little while. Could you ever, could you ever imagine where we are today? Folks, I'm telling you, it is an insanity. It is something that has possessed us where we are identified by our behavior and ultimately we're identified by our behavior that is hated by God himself. And I don't mean we, you, I mean we as a society. We're celebrating this. The latest is the mental health crisis of supposed transgender kids brought about by a lack of acceptance. If, and I do not believe it is true, but if we entertain the possibility that children have always been this way, then wouldn't we have seen much more significant depression and suicides in past decades when none of this was even talked about? The latest statistics show us that Gen Z, that's a couple generations after me, born between 1997 and the year 2000, identify somewhere in what is called the LGBTQ spectrum, 20%. My generation, 4%. The oldest among us, 1%. It's education. It's indoctrination. Young people, the battle that is going on right now isn't for your loyalty, for a cause, or a viewpoint. The battle taking place is for your soul. And I know that you have a church and you have parents that care about you. But more than that, you have a God that loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And he does not want you to waste your life on selfish desires. Please, kill it. So parents and grandparents, how are you educating your children by what you say, by how you live, by what, by what you watch? What message are they receiving from you? Because we just said primarily children are going to be educated. Does the confuser clarify their focus on Christ and the eternal, by how you are living, by what you are saying, by what you value. 
These things aren't easy to say, folks. But as we just conclude, we come to the point where we just ask the question, what, what are we supposed to do, right? What are we supposed to do about all this stuff? First, God doesn't change. And his standard doesn't change. We've read his standard. And his standard is put Christ first and kill the flesh. Not your literal physical body. But the things that consume and drive us to right now specifically sexual sins. Let's also make sure that we are not told to change society. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have an influence on society, but that is not our mission. We are told to radically live like Jesus and to sacrificially love others, including our enemies. How hard is that? I can't imagine being a parent today. Where you might be across from an educator who wants to change the heart and mind of your child. And you need to love them. Now remember I said that we would get back to this idea of how this word is being used, how this killing is supposed to take place. All of these selfish, sex-centered sins need to be killed. The word means decisively put it to death, to kill it once for all, but the application is for daily living. Therefore, the action is to put it to death every time it rises up inside of us. Did you hear that? Every time the temptation comes, we kill it. If we are committing physical acts of sin, stop it. Dead. If we are thinking wrongly, kill those thoughts. When it comes back again, kill it again. And again, and again, and again. That's what we have to do. It's a fight. Every time. Ultimately, the world is right about one thing. This is about identity. As we've studied, God has already identified us with his son through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Will we identify with Christ or identify with the world? specifically when it comes to these sexual sins. Will we set our focus, our affections, our loyalty on Jesus, or will we be preoccupied with the things that we've actually been rescued from? Folks, I want to remind us that this is the negative side of things. We can't have these things a part of our lives if we are going to be properly focused on Christ and living for him, living for eternity. But we do have more to go. Once we're through that, we will cover some positives. I want to give you some hope this morning, (laughs) okay? But the reality is we are in a fight. Some of us, we've, we've run a course, For some of us, we're just starting. So I want to warn us. Not only how are we living, what choices are we making, but how are we influencing others to live the right way?
to kill off the sin that really wants to destroy us. We've been rescued from it, but sometimes we just want to plunge right back into it. And folks, I sometimes want to do that. It's not just a you-we, it's an I-we. We all have to fight this fight. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our young people. You know, I used to tell my teenagers for years, eh, it's just different. It's just different, right? It's not just different anymore. The rules have so completely changed. I'm not trying to scare you young people unduly. I do want to put a little fear in you. I want to put a little fear in your parents. But at the same time, we're not living without hope. If we are in Christ, we have been raised with him. The old man is dead. And now... We need to kill him off the rest of the way. Every time our sin rises up inside of us. Don't let it sit there and fester. Kill it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's wonderful to come before your people and present to them how great and how awesome and glorious Christ is. It's another thing to come to a passage where we have to discuss even what sometimes cripples the faithful. It's so easy to cast stones at other people. It's so easy to rail against society. But Lord, there's an awful lot raging in our own hearts. And I pray for the parents and the grandparents here that we would be careful, that we would be so careful about the example that we are setting, about what we value. But I also, again, pray for our young people. And I'll include, Lord, just any of us who are tempted by the flesh, that we would stay strong, not on our own strength, but in the strength of the risen Christ. That we would have our focus on the hope of heaven. That we'd be so so preoccupied with loving and obeying you that we don't have time for this stuff. And that we'll shed it from our lives. But Lord, no matter how sanctified we are, we're going to be confronted at times. It's, It's a real world out there. And we are going to be tempted. And so, Lord, we pray that you protect us from it. We thank you that you always make a way. We pray, Father, we'll be looking for it. In Christ's name, amen.